All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Zach Hub podcast. Really excited to be here with Joel Valenzuela from the Digital Cash Network, who is going to be starting, who has already started a podcast based on Zcash that will be going over for the next 12 months. And today we're just going to chat over that. So, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show and excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I think a good way to start this is that, you know, just kind of getting into the background of why you wanted to build this Zcash specific podcast and just some background on yourself as well for, for added context. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, so that's what I'll be talking about for the next hour. Um, it's a long, long story, but the very short of it is, so I run this channel called Digital Cash Network. It's a like YouTube Odyssey podcast, everything else kind of channel. And I kind of, um, as a, I should call myself a, a digital cash maximalist, I've kind of believe that peer-to-peer electronic cash as in the in Satoshi's white paper is something that is a, an amazing um, innovation for the human species that has a whole lot of implications. And I've just been trying to, to experience that the most I can myself over the last many years and promote it as much as I could. And as a big part of cash, uh, of actual money is private money. And obviously in the, the evolution of this has become very, very fun from like the early days when I started using Bitcoin and I remember when they changed to HD wallets and all of a sudden I don't have my one address anymore. I get a new one every time I got mad at it at first because I'm like, why? I just, I liked my old address. Like I didn't get it. And everyone's just thinking about like, oh, Bitcoin is private. And then, well, it's not so private. You have to get a new address and well, but then you got to, and then it goes from there. And Ever since then, I've always kept an eye on everything else that could, you know, possibly be, you know, more than this. And uh, like in the early days, uh, 2017, I think I started looking into um, 2016, I started looking into uh, Monero and Dash. And then over, you know, I got heavily involved with the Dash community for, you know, I would say a good solid five years. And I'm still still pretty big in there. But then at some point, you know, Zcash comes along. And since then, I've been very keenly interested, but kind of like from the outside, just sort of, you know, I remember um, a friend of mine, uh, Neil, who, you know, some people might know him. I don't know if he's big in some communities, but again, I don't talk to too many people because especially the Zcash community is very privacy oriented. I remember him when Zcash launched shortly after that he made probably the first shielded in-person purchase with Zcash. And he was buying some t-shirt from the Free State Bitcoin shop in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, back when that was a thing. And I remember seeing with his laptop and using a command line wallet to shield a transaction. And it was like taking a while. And so obviously, you know, been close to the community in that sense, but also understanding that that's not production ready. That's not something that like I need to be trying to use in my day-to-day life. And I've been sort of tracking that stuff. And then at some point, we started to have a lot easier privacy on mobile. And we had some other integrations and stuff like that. And that kind of caused like that, like side eye I was kind of giving, you know, uh, that kind of turned into much more of a, okay, I think it's time for me to dive deep into this. And especially, um, I'm friends with you know, several people in the Zcash community, such as Naomi Brockwell. And then Zuko came out to my town and was, you know, chatting about stuff. And so at some point I, 
I kind of got like a, a, a plea for help of like, please, like these guys, the tech is great, but these guys need your help. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're fighting the information wars, like just getting this out there. And I thought, you know, I might as well get involved. And so um, when I started, before I started my channel, I was doing a, a project called Dash News for the Dash Project um, up until the end of 2019. And as part of that, there was like a, a, a podcast uh, called the Dash Podcast, obviously. And after I after that project sunset, I even even though I wasn't getting paid for it anymore, I was like, I still want to do, I still want to keep on this show because people were like complaining, like, oh, is this going away? So I kind of started my channel to have like a home for that, but like not make it focused on just one coin. And so I kept doing the Dash project podcast on the side, but then added a new show, added a whole bunch of other stuff, and now it's like very much not Dash focused. And so I thought, well, I've already done this before. I, I'm not, this isn't an unknown quantity. I know how to do a podcast. I've been doing, you know, um, like my weekly live news show was like, I think we just had 93 episodes total at the time of recording. And I'm, uh, this be, this month is going to be like 200 episodes of the Dash podcast. So I've been doing this a long time. And I figured um, Zcash needs something like this. And so I thought, well, I know what I can offer. I'm going to see if they think it's worth it. And I also got like semi bullied into it by a bunch of Zcash friends. They're just like, you should do it. You need to do this. And then I got like nagged like next few days. Have you done this yet? Have you done? I'm like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do it. And so it's just, you know, in retrospect, of course, it's like natural, but it's, um, yeah, it turned, that's kind of what it is. I just feel like uh, Zcash, I always thought was kind of like a science project, like really like cutting edge like sound stuff that was sort of like separate from the real world to a certain extent in that it's like a laboratory thing but then in the real world people are doing something different for now and i feel like now is the time to start bridging those worlds now it's about time to start taking stuff out of the science and into the real world and get people actually using you know privacy in their day-to-day -day lives that's a really good point that you make. Like, I feel like when I talk to people about Zcash, I mean, I was just at a conference like two weeks ago and that was the mm -hmm. big perception. It's like, oh, you have this really cryptographically secure protocol, really strong privacy set, but it's not a real world application. And when trying to explain to them, well, have you actually tried to use a shielded wallet in like the last, you know, year or two years, especially with like what, mm -hmm. why wallet right now is performing quite well, you know, have them download that. And it's like a new experience where they didn't know it was that accessible. So I feel like that type of what you just said earlier, like the information war out there, it's like people don't realize that you can just, I think there are a lot of people that don't realize you can just download a shielded by default Zcash wallet and do Z to Z transactions quite easily. Um, so I think that aspect of it's really important. I like the term that you said, digital cash maximalist. So I think if you mm -hmm. read the Bitcoin white paper originally, you know, it was about being this permissionless peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. And now it's morphed into many things, but a lot of people are saying it's the sound store value. Uh, it's, it's digital property. What, what, from your experience, you've been in the space for a really long time. When was that split? When did people move from like, oh, we're using this for everyday online purchases or Dartnet mar markets, et cetera, to this isn't a, this isn't a payments tool. This is a savings tool, which I feel now is trying to be rectified with like the lightning network. People are trying to mm -hmm. bring the payment aspect to Bitcoin back. So tell me more about that split and how you kind of remember that and why you decided to dive off into different projects in the digital cash space. 
Yeah, I would say probably 2018 is when the split started to really take root. So for reference, I kind of known about crypto and Bitcoin. I've been writing and talking about it since at least 2012. So, you know, a good decade in. My 2013, mid-2013 was my first Bitcoin transaction. Someone paid me back for a pizza in it, which I didn't realize till later was very fitting. And I have been, I don't think I've ever use an exchange. I've never bought crypto. I've just only ever earned it for goods and services and things like that. It's just kind of like the the opposite of what a lot of people with like the day jobs and they just throw some money over to Coinbase and get something. And at some point I was using it frequently. And then in 2015, at the end of 2015, I decided I just wanted to, I cared about this enough that I wanted to stop accepting fiat currency for for payments and so uh, since 2015 i've been living completely off crypto i've not been paid in fiat and that's kind of my um that's kind of my connection to the tools right is it's more more kind of real so that was what i cared about bitcoin for was this is money that the government doesn't control the bank doesn't control this is money that i can just control on my own and just live freely and at some point in 2016, which is usually earlier than most people who have had a sort of, from back in the day, had a sort of split. Um, in 2016, I started to notice some like user experience issues where um, transactions started to creep up into the several cent category, which yeah, it's fine, but like compared to what it was, it's you know was kind of a lot. But then the confirmation time started going up, and like I I do distinctly remember several times, like waiting around in a shopping mall for like an hour for a confirmation before I could like actually buy something. And then I skipped lunch one day cause I didn't have a confirmation in time and like stuff like started to really affect my ability to do this. And so it was, there was a lot of people who were hypothetically saying what I was experiencing in real time about, well, what are we going to, what do we need to scale, increase the block size and then the block size wars. And that's kind of ancient history for most of crypto, like it's hard to realize that that was like five years ago, over five years ago at this point where the block size wars were kind of concluded. And now people just don't, don't know like the history behind it, but, and it's a contentious issue for people who do know the history behind it, but it's pretty universal that one side wanted Bitcoin to grow on chain so that everyone could spend it. Everyone could use it and keep fees low and confirmation times relatively reasonable. And the other side prioritized the ability, I guess the, the, um, the kind of loose decentralization concept, but it was more focused into everyone should run a node. Therefore we can't let the blockchain grow to be too big. And it ended up turning into some stuff too, about we can't ever hard fork again. And so Basically, Bitcoin had a split at that point. And the when you're talking about the, the digital gold versus digital cash, I mean, if you look at all the literature from back in the day, it was all digital cash stuff. And the digital gold, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound too like crypto political by saying that, but it was a deliberate message change to kind of fit a single narrative, right? Because one side of and it's it's literally it, it, that's the thing about this is even though i am what one could call consider a big blocker um i understand that there's two different sides of trying to do the same thing of like we need 
the world to use this. And one side says we need to just make the box bigger. The other side says let's scale off chain because that has fewer of these risks. And I understand that. The problem is the other side didn't have a good answer of how this would happen at that moment. Lightning was like already, you know, two years since its conceptualization, but it wasn't really production ready for another several years. And even today, I wouldn't even know how production ready I consider it to be. But so the narrative had to be changed that, well, it's more digital gold anyway than digital cash in order to, I guess, excuse like one side says we want it to work like this and we have a plan for how it can work like this tomorrow. Whereas the other side said we want to work like this. We have a several years down the road plan for this. And so we need to change what it's for in order to, I guess, justify our, our approach. And I'm not saying I'm not, there was a lot of dishonesty, sure, but I'm not painting it purely as a dishonest kind of thing because um, the entire reason I got into crypto was I was right before that, I was actually trying to live on gold, like the, the crazy person that I am, because like, you know, I believe in sound money and, you know, stuff that can't easily be manipulated by government and stuff like that. And so I was trying to get a, like Peter Schiff had this uh, gold debit card that I was trying to figure out how I could get and use. And so for me, Bitcoin was digital gold first, but like digital cash built on digital gold, kind of like it was the same thing. And that, and that's kind of the same thing. Like a lot of people are like, well, we can use crypto to use like send USDC for like fractions of like, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm not in it for the fiat. I'm not in, I'm in it for the sound money. That's digital cash. So I understand wanting to thinking that maybe on-chain scaling or something might mess with the digital gold element of this. Although I wasn't convinced by those arguments, but to sort of a very, very long answer to that question of that's when the shift started to happen at the end, it started to happen in 2017, like 2016, 2017 by one camp after the other camp split off, lost, whatever ended up happening then by the end of 2018 and 2017 is when you had like 20 40 transaction fees whatever it was some crazy fees and ever since then it just became you know digital gold and new entrants into bitcoin from 2017 onward couldn't reasonably use it as digital cash so that's the only that's all they knew it as so it's just like with each generation different things happen so now it's it's kind of become that with lightning now I've known some people in this last cycle who've come into Bitcoin thinking it as both digital gold and digital cash, but thinking that lightning's the way to do it, which is kind of funny how this thing's come full circle, but like without historical context of that, it just seems like, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's missed, but that might just be me as a crypto boomer, just like reminiscing about the old days. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say that like crypto boomer reminiscing about the old days. I do think like something I've tried to do at least I came in, you know, buying crypto on Coinbase in like 2017, I think, and didn't really dive into everything maybe until like 2020, 2019, 2020 is when I was like, when it all started like popping off again, I was like, Oh, I should probably learn a lot more about this because mm -hmm. the numbers are going up, which at times can make you feel like a bit of a dishonest actor. But I think really diving into like that history and understanding how different people view the projects. I think it bodes like really well for people to learn that because you can kind of see where everything can fit. 
Um, and then obviously Zcash being spawned out of like the 20, I know 2012, 2013 is when the zero coin white paper was written or the zero cash white paper and it was presented. And then they were like, we don't want to do this on Bitcoin because it's too risky. Let's do it on another blockchain and see if it can work, which is really interesting because everyone during that time was calling everyone in Zcash a scammer. They're calling it a shit coin. And now there's a lot of research coming out in the Bitcoin community about doing ZK rollups on Bitcoin using the Halo proving system, which is just like, oh, wow. Like theoretically, if you kind of look at that trajectory, it has worked out in the way that Bitcoin Bitcoiners maybe wanted it to in 2012, but there's too much animosity between the projects, right? So people look at this as like a massive like rivalry or split, where I do in some way think there might be ecosystem for both maybe i'm wrong on that but just trying to understand like the history behind those things is really important because like i know a lot of people in zcash and have a lot of respect obviously for everyone working in the project and when i go to conferences and hear these types of things about like this project specifically it's kind of like like i, I work with these people every day like none of that's true mm -hmm. like and it's trying to dispel all that fud and the myths that came over the course of that little bit of history so i think it's important to learn about that too and kind of understand everything so yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in an interesting time for sure. And I, it's kind of like, you know, maybe you live in interesting times is like the old Chinese curse that sometimes it's not, it's too interesting, but crypto is, it's, it's kind of weird how much it's spawned. It should be just like a, a payment system slash a money. And then it's now a finance system and, and it's whatever NFTs are, which is, it seems like everything's going to be an NFT in the future. Like everything is changing so fast but then also you see like the crypto the cultish crypto communities uh, are something that i kind of like have um criticized in the past but now i'm kind of more i mean i'm not not criticizing but like now it's it's much more of a fascinating human phenomenon where people always got got a little tribalistic on certain tech like oh you got an iphone oh you got an android but that, then they was fine but then people get like really into like they name their firstborn son after like their favorite coin and some weird things like that. It's just people get really attached. And then the Bitcoin community, I wouldn't say the Bitcoiners, but the maximalists definitely are like an extreme cult kind of around what is just like code, just some technology that has been replicated infinite times almost with small permutations of differences or major differences. And I think that um, the freedom principle behind Bitcoin, as well as the, this is the turning point of humanity of when Bitcoin get, got created. I think that is all more than just lines of code. That's something special. But as far as like turning this thing into a religion from people who don't even use, like they own digits of this, it's very strange. It, it It's very interesting to think about the nature of humanity, about like how humanity is like, kind of banded around ideas and leaders and you know communities and in crypto it's one of those first times where you could literally buy ownership into into an idea and a a group where it's like if you buy bitcoin now you have now you're in the group kind of and then if you make it all about yourself and you the more people you get into the group the more stronger the idea becomes and the more everyone's investment into the group goes off, which uh, cynically could be called, you know, a Ponzi scheme. And I'm not denying that there's a little bit of that element to some projects, right? But 
at the same time, it's just like people, you know, people care very much. And so like with Zcash, I think, for example, um, it seems like a lot of people who care about privacy express it through being members of the Zcash community. And Zcash is much more of a, I guess, hard-headed, like science-based kind of community. It's much less of this like stuff that like, for example, the Monero community is a different flavor of that commitment to privacy as a fundamental human right. And there's, it's a lot more, I would say cult's not the right word maybe, but it's a lot more community based. It's a lot more people buy, buy the token, but also like put images of like the logo and then they, they spread things and they're, they're growing this like movement. That's it's a payments technology that's behind the movement, but it's still, the movement is just way more than way spilled over into way more things than just this is how I buy my groceries. Yeah. And I, I find that really interesting too, because I feel like, and maybe I'm really off base about this, but I feel like kind of the millennial generation was the first generation in the United States to really separate itself from religion. I feel like, mm -hmm. like my parents' generation still are very strongly rooted in that foundation. Whereas my generation is a little bit more skeptical and they're not really adhering to any specific ideology or group. And then maybe through crypto, there's this way to kind of be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, so maybe from like the maximalist tendencies, maybe it's a little bit of that. Maybe people just don't have um, that same foundational like group that they belong to from like, whether it be like a religion or a national identity, because we have more open borders now and we can go to different places and we can be digital nomads. So I think like that might have something to do with it. But I've also, I also asked a very hardcore Bitcoin maximalist who I... I would say somewhat befriended um, a few months ago at a conference and him and I were talking and he, he made the point that Bitcoin is a ultrasound, like not ultrasound money. Sorry. That's wrong. That's an Ethereum term. Wrong call. <laughs> My bad. It's a sound money system that has the best monetary properties or principles of any, you know, cryptocurrency. And it is by virtue of being the first and by virtue of being the most decentralized, they admit while it might be harder to change, it's harder to make changes that could ultimately affect the money supply in a negative way or affect the, mo the monetary properties in a negative way. So they're saying like all of these improvements that people are doing outside of Bitcoin and other communities are in essence like immoral because they should be trying to, while it might be harder, they should be trying to implement those um, principles into the monetary network that is the most sound or has like, you know, the best qualities in that regard. Um, yeah. so specifically it's like privacy, the, the reason was like, oh, but go build your privacy technology, but there needs to be this understanding that it is going to come back to Bitcoin, kind of like that theory or that idea they had back in 2013 when Zcash was first presented to the Bitcoin community. Um, I find those things really interesting. I don't agree with them, obviously, because I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist and I don't work on like a Bitcoin specific mm -hmm. project, but I find like that type of reasoning interesting not that I agree with it, but I'm like, okay, that makes a little more sense than that just everything after Bitcoin is a shitcoin because it's not Bitcoin. But at least there was like some level of like thought process there, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's something that um, I, I could kind of respect the, the, the problem is that's a, that's an argument. That's like a, a logical argument that is being used as marketing copy. And I, I reject it as marketing copy, but I accept it as a logical argument that then we can test the various aspects of that, right? So for example, you say the most sound money, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So 
you have to start defining what is sound money, what is this, et cetera, et cetera. The most decentralized is that that is something that can be, it's always very hard to prove what actually decentralized means as far as like the, the actual nitty gritty of everything. But it is something that you can put metrics on, as in how widely distributed is this coin supply? Who makes the decisions about what changes and what doesn't? Who can attack the network? Who can secure the network? How many actors are those? How much money would take to... You know, there's there's these questions that then come out of that, that then you can just say this. And then, of course, you have to, to question the root assumptions of why decentralization. And really, the decentralization is censorship resistance. It's like 90% of it is it that. And then there's some like, you know, resistance to change and things. So when we go back to that whole, um, you know, well, everything will just be folded back in. I mean, I think that's that um, that ship has definitely sailed where the drawback of there's the difficulty of changing a network is um, I don't see that as a full on virtue. There's virtuous elements to that, to where you want something you can rely on. And if something is completely changed and you don't know who changed it, that's a big problem. But the problem is since then, I mean, was it Halfin? He was talking, thinking about doing more ways to add privacy in Bitcoin. And people were talk, talking about zero knowledge proofs and stuff like that way back in the day on Bitcoin. And that left to Zcash basically. And then um, back in the early days of um, Dash's founder, I think privacy was his initial thing too, but he was more of like a have like a built-in higher level coin join kind of thing he's trying to get done. And then the core team told him go away. So he founded X coin, then dark coin, and then it kind of evolved into dash over time. And then Decred cared about, you know, governance and stuff and sorry, go. And then everyone, like all these innovations past this base thing have all spawned off into their own little, little projects. Uh, but then, at, and then, of course, Vitalik and Ethereum and all that stuff, that's all gone away. And at some point, the idea is they go off and do their thing. They find out what works. They find out what doesn't. And then they fold it back in. And the problem is that last step is what's missing. The folding of the back in is what's missing. And so where I see it more is then you have projects like, it's not just Zcash goes away and then folds it back into Bitcoin at some point. It's more Zcash goes out, Monero goes out, and then you know, Ycash goes out, and then Zencash goes out, and then Firo goes out, like all these things, and then that coalesces into just a couple of big privacy players. And then that ends up being like, okay, well maybe Litecoin gets folded into like the Zcash thing because it's like well, that's like a payment coin and they do the Mimblewimble, which is some like extra privacy and stuff. Maybe they, they end up migrating over that kind of, but at some point it's supposed to go back to Bitcoin, but it, I think Bitcoin's gotten way too good at the not changing part. And unfortunately, I think that it's probably terminally at the not changing part because a single group, the, the group that ended up winning the block size wars, part of their winning strategy was to, make Bitcoin harder to change than it otherwise could have been in order to block the opposition. But the problem is then you just like, you dug your entire country into a trench and it staved off the invaders, but now you're living in the trench and it's, you, you kind of stuck with it. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know how I necessarily see the future playing out, but I, I do I do think there's some really interesting things getting built on Bitcoin. Um mm -hmm. I think for example, like the zero knowledge research that came out um from like BTC was really, really cool. Like I read that and I was like, okay, if this if there's a company that gets funded to build something like this, I think that's specifically very interesting. Um I think like the Fediment project is really, really cool. So like this idea of like community custody federations where people don't necessarily have to manage their private keys and it integrates with lightning so they can do payments like that for me is like a really cool concept. Mm -hmm. I'm still tr struggling to like follow the coin join wars. Cause like you get into like, Oh, mm -hmm. I want to like coin join some of my Bitcoin. And then you get to the two major players who are kind of in that space and they both hate each other. <laughs> so it's like trying to figure out like, where's the, which one's FUD and which one's like actually building, um, you know, the, the, the better project for privacy. Right. So I think that, I think again, we're, we're very early on all of it too. So I do think it gets flushed out. Like maybe the next, I don't know, 10 years might get flushed out. And then we have kind of like some clear path forward. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a while until we kind of in a while and within crypto terms, I don't know if 10 years is a long time or not, but, um, it kind of, it kind of gets flushed down. Yeah. So we'll, I mean, I will see, we'll see how it plays out. You, you mentioned like the payments thing was your, I kind of want to touch on one thing before we move over to more like more, more content specific to like the podcast that's coming up, mm -hmm. but you mentioned this payments, this payment, digital cash maximus, like we touched on earlier, what have, what have been the cryptocurrencies that you've been using over the past? I don't know. You said Bitcoin was having issues in 2016. So I think that's maybe when you maybe migrated to other things. So yeah. like, let's say the last six years, what have like been the projects or the cryptocurrencies that you've used the most? Yeah. So if we examine the market caps, um, Bitcoin was like 84, 85% dominance back in 2016, like the end of 2016. And of and it basically reflected over that in terms of payment volume and still is like one of the larger, if not the largest player in, you know, transactions or something depends, sorry, depends on your, um, on your metrics. But so when I talk about like the digital cash maximalist thing, like I bought into, I want something that's like sound money, like I can the supply is not something I mean, it's going to be hyperinflated or whatever. Um, I want something that's decentralized and you know, that I can, I can't, I, I can trust that some entity isn't just going to change their mind and then my, everything is screwed. And then it's got to just like work. And so that was Bitcoin for a while until the, it's got to just work part started to like, not kind of get shaky. So that I literally went to the top of the market cap list and just said, what am I going to start using? And so there's Bitcoin, obviously no, then there's Ethereum, which was not really promoted as a payment thing at all at the time. And even today, and obviously today, the fees are worse than Bitcoin usually. So that would have been a huge mistake. Um, and then when you go down the list, like Litecoin wasn't a thing. Like it was around, but it was abandoned in development. And it wasn't until like Charlie Lee got it onto Coinbase later and then pumped it that I got new life. But like other, it was, it was not being actively developed on for a time. And so Dash was the only one that I could feasibly use. And then the, in the short term, it was like, it was like a 80, 70, 80% lateral move kind of where I'm like, well, a lot of these things still take it, but then I have to use a little shapeshift plugin to like, you know, use Bitcoin, but you don't have the Dash and use the Bitcoin. And, and within a year or so, within a year, it was like 50, 50 or more. It was like easier. And during that time, of course, I was always using other kind of things. And it's still for like the day-to-day -day purchase stuff up until like 
this year it was still like 90, 95% dash. And this year I've started to, you know, I, I, it can still be that level, but I've started to branch out because I've had obviously different income streams and rather than just swap it all into one, don't try to be a maximalist, or whatever, I just try to use different things. And so, for example, um, I got a little, I got some like animations and logos and stuff done for the Zcash podcast, pay that guy in Zcash. I got the flex app. I'm going to be trying that stuff out. And like, I paid for my hosting for my website in Litecoin. I paid for a few different things in Bitcoin cash and I'm paid for some stuff in Monero. You're like, as far as like what it's easiest to live on in, it's geographically dependent a little bit, but uh, the top ones are Bitcoin dash Litecoin. I think those are like the, the easiest ones and some areas Bitcoin cash is like easier than maybe all of those, but it's, it's a little bit much more reasonably like regionally dependent. The problem is like in the U S I heavily use like bit refill and I use, um, like, so like there, there's a, a company called Ionia that started with an app called dash direct, but it's now in the edge wallet and in the cake wallet, the Monero one that lets you instantly buy gift. It's basically like a, in my view, a better flexa kind of, and, they do not, I mean, maybe it, now with Edge, they might support Bitcoin Cash, but because of those things, it was harder to use Bitcoin Cash, but it's basically been, been those. Monero, as of having this new integration with the Cake Wallet, is actually useful now. Like, you can actually use it at stuff. And it's, you know, it's kind of like the Flexa for Zcash, but, you know, for Monero. So that's kind of like, that's kind of it. Like the the universal things like, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dash are the easy ones, although Bitcoin usually has some like different services or extra hoops you have to deal with lightning and all that kind of stuff. Bitcoin Cash is up there, but ahead of it if you're in somewhere like say St. Kitts where like everyone everyone takes it kind of thing or certain parts or Australia or wherever. And then, then Monero is like right next to there. And then uh, like probably then like Zcash around there too. Because a lot of places do take Zcash because it's, you know, the the good fortune of having friends in digital currency group and like Gemini and stuff like that. That's been that's been a, a boon. And, you know, I will the, the thing is where we go to now is um there's this like it's hard to balance all these things, right? Like feel like philosophical, like, oh, I like this better. And you talk about like the practical, um, the the practical elements of what make up a cryptocurrency and then you go to like the the pragmatist of today like what works today like obviously the us dollar works the best today right but um as far as all the other stuff absolutely not and so that's kind of one thing is like most people i know were using a lot of people i know i should say were using zcash in the earlier years not aware that their transparent transactions were transparent they just so it's the privacy coin so it's got to be private like it just that kind of level of thing of thinking and then when i actually started trying to use stuff like that then you kind of you know i i thought that privacy on mobile was a something you can't really f easily figure out without trusting a node and then at some point it started to get figured out and i was like kind of skeptical but then also like thinking well this is a huge advancement for you know crypto 
why is no one talking about this? And then I start seeing more stuff about like, oh, like I didn't know Zcash changed its block time. I didn't know the proof of stake. All this stuff that in obviously episode one of the Zcash podcast on Digital Cash Network, I go over with Nathan Wilcox about all this cool stuff that like no one really knows about. And everyone still thinks there's a trusted setup. Everyone still thinks there's a founder's reward. And everyone still thinks it's like, you know, Barry Silbert just like tells the devs what to do kind of thing. And they're just... And also, no one thinks that this is like usable in everyday transactions at all. And people just think that other things are. And I I think that that's, that's where I'm like, when I'm in my own journey of like figuring out how stuff works, that's where I'm kind of like, I could, I never felt good about, for example, promoting Litecoin because I don't know where it's going as far as the development I don't know the future. Like it's it works now. It's based on a Bitcoin similar model. Like I can trust a lot of the things. It's been around forever. But like, where is it gonna go? And the only reason they have Mimblewimble on there is because of one guy. This one guy is like, ah, I'm gonna build this thing onto onto Litecoin. And just this one developer did it. If that guy didn't happen, like what where does it go from there? And so um rather than do that stuff, I'd rather start, you know, if I can choose what I promote, you know, uh, I could probably, I would like to choose things that I think are, are going to be the best tool in, in the end of the day. I, I think that's a really good point that you made there. And then one thing that you've mentioned, the cake wallet, the cake pay integration mm-hmm. is like, to, is like top of the line. In my opinion, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. I think flex is going to be opening up its SDKs to where like, let's say Nighthawk wallet wanted to like embed the flex SDK in the Nighthawk yeah. wallet app. Like I do foresee that future coming, right? I, I do foresee a future mm-hmm. where like you can buy gift cards or you can use something like Flexa in a Zcash wallet to like buy things at like a grocery store or something. Um, so I, I do think that's coming, but I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, like you mentioned this earlier as we were talking, like this kind of like information war on Zcash. Mm-hmm. And then we've just tailed off there with like your, your latest episode with, with Nate Wilcox, kind of like what, how do you f- foresee like the episodes? So the next 11 episodes, like, do you have any like specific items that you want to cover? How do you want to tackle a lot of like that information, um, that information war that is happening? Like, do you, do you plan on having an episode specifically around trusted setup or an episode specifically around like the, the Zcash development fund, which is like formally known as like, or was formally a, a founder's reward before it became the development fund. Like how do you kind of foresee the digital cash network Zcash podcast being this like bat, like this uh, combatant against like all the misinformation happening with related to Zcash? Yeah. So the way I view things is, um, I, as a like semi-public figure, I guess I, I'm very interested in freedom and, you know, sound money and privacy and stuff like that. Right. The, there's the digital cash maximalist kind of thing. And so I put out the bat signal there and anyone who's interested in that, like pays attention to what I say, or most, most of them, I honestly do not, but those who, some, some do, there's a couple of people that do. And so what I kind of owe it to them in my, my audience is, I owe it to them to kind of bring them the good stuff. And I, I see like a lot of podcasters out there. Um, I mean, some of this might be, come off as like being salty and stuff, but that's not my intention at all. There's a lot of people who are very successful at the crypto YouTube game, the podcast or whatever, that are like these big stars, like you could say, 
Peter McCormack, the Bankless folks, like all this kind of stuff. And I feel like their primary goal is to make the most effective podcasts they can, like produce the best thing that gets the most people interested and like that kind of stuff. And obviously I'd like to do, I'd like to do that as well. But my first thing is I want to make sure that there's no like filtering of information where people, you know, people have to do their, I don't want people to have to do their own research that much to where, so for example, um, I try to find the exact right way of saying this, but there's this kind of um, this, this perspective, which unfortunately is largely true that the higher you go in like the media, whether it's like the, the bigger show, the bigger, the, whatever, the bigger, the more broad based and vague and like shallow it is. And then as you become more like niche, more, you know, underground, that's when you find the good stuff. And I, in my opinion, that's part of the reason why Joe Rogan's podcast became one of the top of the top one in the world is because it had this vibe of like, this is the, this is the little guy with like the real story who like all, but like everyone can tune into that. And so kind of paradoxically by being little guy ish kind of went to the top. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know or really care if I go to the top, but, um, I don't want to be one of those people that just says like, live on, let just talk about Bitcoin all day because most people get the clicks out, out of Bitcoin. I don't want to be like, you know, well, but all these Ethereum things that like, you know, I'm going to talk about bankless because okay, maybe this is a little bit of shade, but like, I'm going to talk about bankless and talk about a lot of like DeFi changes, banks and this and that stuff. And like, here's how I subscribe to my newsletter, all this kind of stuff, but not get into here's how you use not fiat for your money and close your actual bank account, right? I don't want to be like too big, too big to have quality kind of thing. I'd rather go right to the root of that. And so as, as part of that, I mean, I could, I could show who knows what out, whatever else. And, you know, if I wanted to get deep on, get the privacy people going, I could probably just do like a Monero podcast instead. Of course, there's already a few of those, but like, that's probably where you get more hits. That's probably where you get more stuff. But I don't think that, that's the best I could serve my community, right? So that was like a lot of sort of, you know, useless pontificating around. Basically, I want people to be educated on Zcash on like a real level. And uh, that's on that one side. So I want to take existing audience people and just say, this is what Zcash actually is. Get rid of all the myths, get rid of all the whatever. This is what it actually is, where the technology and community is today what can be done, ask hard questions, do some stuff that might, you know, maybe be a little like risky or whatever. I mean, what can they do? Just take away like, a few hundred bucks a year or whatever. Like I'm going to be fine. So, and then the other side, I want to take the Zcash community and kind of give them a kick in the butt a little bit, like get them over here and just say, like, we have an opportunity now to make something of this. We have, you know, this is probably the best privacy technology in the world. And it's in a usable state. I mean, spam attack notwithstanding, that'll be a, hopefully um, that'll be next episode talks a little bit about, about that stuff. But basically like, so I was using the, the Zek wallet light uh, the other day and because I had to pay, pay that guy for the, the graphic design and stuff. And I remember because of 
random stuff I had to receive into a transparent address. So I had like a, a transparent balance there. And there's just one button you press that just says shield balance and it's boom, it's all shielded. And that simple hit a button, you're private kind of thing. I think maybe it's just maybe waxing political, like uh, poetic about something really dumb, but I think that's huge. I think it's just, can you imagine like you have money, like all your money, and you can just hit a button and then it's gone. Like it's private. Like no one knows what you're doing with this. Nobody's business. It's not, well, let's see if like, well, but if you resend it within too soon over this, then with the way the ring signature works, then the, the de this decoy, the, the actual one instead of the decoy is most likely to be the real one. And so therefore, why don't you wait a little bit before doing that? Or like, oh, well, but if, it's not all these if, ands, and buts about it. It's just zap, it's private like good luck breaking that encryption. And so I would like, I think a lot of Zcash people get into the tech and get into the, like, Oh, this is cool. And like a philosophical level, but the fact that you can just take your money and just private. And then now you can actually spend it in a lot of places too. And hopefully more over time. I think that that's something that people need to sort of start doing. Like how many people in the Zcash world do you think, you know, I mean, you don't have to answer, but it's like a hypothetically, do you think talk all the time or spend most of their time like talking about this kind of stuff and then uh, talking about how transparent they're, I mean, how uh, encrypted and awesome all the Zcash can be and all this awesome stuff and then just have all their money in this like transparent bank account, all their transactions tracked by Visa and MasterCard, everything and just like, haven't connected the two to where it's like it's all it's it's like a it's all in their head here but it's just like you know what yeah. there's tools today you can do this today and so hopefully i'd like to bring zcash information to digital cash fans and digital cash information to zcash fans and hopefully we all become mm -hmm. kind of merge the two yeah i think that's a really interesting point that you've made like I mean, around both of those there, right? Like it is, it is that you have to click the button to like shield the balance. Um, I do think within some of the wallets though, I think that there's an automatic functionality within that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, within like, I've been using Y wallet, you know, a lot since the, the increased blockchain size and increased transaction amounts. Um, mm -hmm. Also known as spam attack. I've been using Y wallet and within Y wallet, it's not automatic, but it is, you know, relatively easy to do. And, and, you know, I have the Zach Hub donation address and I've been thinking recently, like, you know, the viewing keys and all that can, you know, can disclose information you I need to just to make sure, you know, people know I'm being honest with that money. Mm -hmm. But looking back on it, I would have just put it in a transparent address. Like I would have had like a receive address for shielded transactions if people didn't want to send, if they didn't want to leave, have mm -hmm. any other money leave a shielded pool. But I think like the transparent aspect of it would have been a little bit easier um, and kind of like broadcasting how that money's been used. But at the same time, I know there is a argument that you always want to keep money within the shielded pool for as long as possible. Right. So I, I, I get the arguments on both sides. So it is relatively easy to use it shielded. I, I, I use it for the Zach hub donation address actually quite a bit. I do payouts probably every week. I run probably five to tens miss upwards of like 15 shielded transactions a week with that. Um, I think with regards to, the Zcash aspect of it, though, I find is really interesting because, you know, personally, I view Zcash as like a checking account. I know that that's not a great mm -hmm. way to like describe it, 
but I, I, I view Zcash as like, okay, I'm going to hold X amount of money in my Zcash wallet and it's ready to spend, right? Like it's a small, I wrote about this and like, it's the small stash of money that I can spend whenever I need to spend it. Like as I would have like cash under my mattress, I would have Zcash in a, in a shielded Zcash wallet. I think it's interesting how people even within Zcash have different kind of views and potential use cases for it. But I like the fact that you've mentioned that kind of like encouraging more of this practice of like, let's get out there in the real world and try to use this technology and use this as much as possible. How do you feel about potentially the Zcash community? Maybe how do you feel about that balance between this idea of like crypto colonialization where like you're going into communities and you're trying to get people to accept crypto that might not have any education about it, as well as being mm -hmm. a part of a community that needs to obviously use the technology if the technology is going to succeed. So how do you kind of feel about that split there? Yeah. So I think that um, if you do anything dishonestly and in bad faith, you're going to suffer the consequences and have responsibility for that. And then the opposite is true. If you do anything honestly and in good faith, you're going to be okay. And because I've, I've thought about that for a long time about like, where, where do I see myself in the world as far as the guy who talks about crypto all the time? Like, am I a scammer? <laughs> you know, like I, it's, it's important to ask yourself that, right? And so part of the reason why I decided to start trying to live on crypto in 2015 was because I told too many people how awesome this money was and you know, that this is like the money of the future and freedom tech. And I didn't feel comfortable anymore being the guy who's like spouting all this, you know, theoretical stuff and not like living it. And so if I say from like a, if I say something I'm sure about, right? Like I know that this is this and this works like that because that's literally how I pay my bills. That's a lot more of a, a place of honesty. It's not like a, well, if people buy into this token, then I get rich. It's like, well, like if I'm, if the ship goes down, I'm the first to, I'm first to drown. You know, that's kind of my, it puts me in a much better spot because even though, you know, I do a lot of media and I run a podcast and all this kind of stuff, I'm not really a, a very, um, what you, what you could call it, a very, uh, a, so a very extroverted personality and kind of the opposite of a little, it gets intimidating to me to be like out there trying to talk to people about this stuff. And it just, you know, the anxiety goes in like, Oh, well, what if, what if I tell people that this is cool and then they lose money because of me? And it's like, I get, you know, and the neck muscles tighten up and all that. And it's like, at some point, well, what if I live this? That makes the whole thing easier. So as far as like the crypto colonization thing, I found that being brutally honest just helps with everything. Like I'll tell people I like, not even this is better than this, but I like this better than this. And these are the reasons. And also I use this because of that. And like, at some point you're liar, scammer. Okay. Like, what did I lie about? What did I scam about? You know, it just makes, makes it a lot easier. And the thing is like, um, I, there's a lot of people who are not interested in crypto. And if they don't want to care, they don't have to. Like if I tell my barber, hey, why don't you take crypto for the, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, uh, and like, I can't, I can't just like see if they have any big concerns and figure that out. If they're just on the fence, they just don't want to do it. It's like, all right, that's fine. You don't have to. I mean, maybe one day you'll have to when everyone's using it, but do what you want now. But on the other hand, there's so many people 
out there who just like, I kind of view it as a responsibility for, um, for people to like promote the things that work in a way. And because it, it's kind of like, I feel like people with agendas and ulterior motives tend to take up the majority of any conversation, especially like political conversations and things, but like about anything. And so rather than just let that be, I think it's kind of, um, we have a responsibility. Um, was it the great Morton Blackwell once said, um, um, you owe it to your philosophy to study how to win. And it's kind of true. Like if this is, does this matter? I mean, is everyone just in this because it's, it's fun to like talk about around a coffee or two? Like, is this, or is this important technology for the future of the human race? If so, we should, anyone who cares again, consent, right? We don't want to like talk to someone's ear off who just does not care. But if someone wants to hear, someone wants to know, then I, I believe it's almost like a responsibility to have that available to them. And more than just like, oh, did you hear the gospel of Zcash or whatever, which, you know, that only gets you so far. Like I like to get people using it. I'd like to get people practicing privacy. And that's one thing that I really like about what Naomi Brockwell has been doing with her privacy channel with like the really short TikTok form stuff, especially is, I mean, every content creators, whatever struggles to kind of find exactly their voice. And I think that she really hit her stride when she just started telling people you know, as I joke with her all the time, your phone is spying on you is like 90% of what she says, but it's true. And this is what's happening. This is why it's bad. Here's the solution. Use this app, download this, do that, clear this. Here's how to deagle you. Like just that's exactly now, now people who didn't care about their privacy before they know they should, but they have a way out. And I think that that's, I, I kind of like to do the same, you know, in, a, in, as far as uh, crypto is concerned and as far as the Zcash podcast is concerned, you know, I'll obviously talk about, I talk a lot about like what I have like two, I guess, responsibilities. The one is to tell people how to like, how to do things specifically. Here's how you pay your rent. Here's how you do this. But on the other hand, there's that whole educational aspect of like, what's all out there. And I think that, the world is woefully uneducated about Zcash. And I think that um, obviously when you have a, I think a lot of people would really love to know that they can have their money just made completely private with a press of a button. You know, I think that there's a, there's a reason why signal is such a insanely popular app. There's a reason why, you know, Snowden's still in the, public discourse. There's a reason why we use HTTPS. There's a reason why all this kind of stuff, there's a reason why Apple is now talking about how everything's encrypted and stuff. Like there's, there's a reason why all this matters. And I think that uh, we owe it to people to give them the opportunity to get on that. And before they kind of, you know, start, I guess suffer some consequences of having, you know, poor financial self, you know, self-control and privacy. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. Like we, the, the big point there that, that stuck out to me was, is this something interesting that you can have like a conversation over a coffee with? Like 
that type mm-hmm. of like because this is really like even from like a technological reading the research and even though i have no idea what any of it's talking about i at least try to read it for a lot of the stuff that's coming out and it is really cool to get around a table with coffee or a beer and like have that really in-depth conversation but ultimately like i think the one thing that bitcoiners may have done really really well is that they kind of tie it all back to like this core message of like we are trying to change the financial system and we are trying to get rid of these really bad badly mismanaged and manipulated fiat currencies so i think if you take that a step further to all the projects that have kind of you know existed after that zcash being one of them right like there is this core message of like look this this idea of having censorship resistance is going to not necessarily live out in full practice if you don't have you know, this, this really high level of privacy. Um, so I think that like key message of trying to like, you know, get people kind of more motivated by that is, is something that's really good. And also at at the time, like, it's not just something that's really interesting. Like I do, I do, that's what I go, I go and give talks to universities sometime, like different classes or blockchain associations, et cetera. And that's kind of what I tell them. I'm like, look, this right now is kind of being viewed as this really interesting technology. But if you look at the trajectory that the surveillance systems are ramping up, and if you look at the tra- trajectory of like these different mixing, mixing systems and decoys, I would, you know, agree with Zuko on this, that the surveillance systems are wrapping up really, really fast. So you have to have mm-hmm. this other option, this other technology that people need to know about that they can opt into um, and then potentially use in a situation that they might need this like really, really high level, near perfect uh, privacy. And I think, again, it's just like we can't be dishonest about it. We have to tell people that there's different risks associated with using any of these technologies. But ultimately, like they do have this really, really strong place. Um, so 100% would agree on that and think that, I think bringing that type of message and reinforcement to the Zcash community is gonna be really, really positive. Um, focusing on the other side, so like the digital cash network mm-hmm. audience, what type of you know things do you think that are their biggest misconceptions right now about Zcash that need to, need to be cleared up? Yeah, uh, I think like, Again, I'm one of those people who must, you know, hate myself because I spend all my time talking about stuff that, you know, basically like being like the one man show talking about stuff that no one else is like, I mean, Dash has had a PR problem for many years and Zcash as well of just like the PR problem of like nothing, like no one talks about it. And those who do are just usually, I guess, competitors, although I don't really view you know, I'd like to not view crypto as like a competitive space. Can, can I, can I, can yes. I, can I add on that really quick? I would hundred yes. percent agree with you. Like I look at all these things and I'm like, at the end of the day, they're tools, right. Mm-hmm. And they're tools for kind of enabling human freedom. And that's a really important point. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting, but I'm really glad you brought that yeah. up. Yeah, But that's it. And it's, it's easy. Like, especially when I spent been spending more time, like in the beginning, I think it's easier when you don't know anything to be a lot more competitive because you're just like, well, this is, this is what I like because I I don't trust my knowledge enough to not think this is the best. Once you know more, it's just, it's easier to be a little bit more like, yeah, this is good. That's good. The other thing's good, but that's a, I feel like other than projects who view Zcash as like a competitor and say mean things, like I feel like, I feel like Monero people talk more about Zcash than Zcash people do, which, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of strange, but it's it's true. And I I try to um, basically like the the number one hurdle is just education. Like like what is it? 
What does it do? Uh, uh, just the basics kind of thing. Um, but there's other couple things that I hope to do. One is, believe it or not, you can actually use it in a lot of places today. You know, maybe not as wide of an adoption as, you know, some of the other ones I mentioned, but still there's, there's stuff you can do with it today. And you could, can and should probably in like the wallets, the, the mobile privacy is a big thing that I think blow a lot of people's minds. It's just how, how robust it is to use privacy on mobile. I mean, this was way easier before the whole spam attack thing happened, but I, you know, I think that afterwards, you know, or using the correct wallets or whatever, I think that it's still not going to be a big problem. Um, but then the other thing is also, um, so a friend of mine who, who runs his business and 50% or more of his employees are paid entirely with Bitcoin. He himself lives entirely off Bitcoin, doesn't have personal bank accounts, et cetera. He, he said he viewed for his company, the living, the Bitcoinization of his company as a defensive measure. If, as in, if people try to, you know, cancel you or shut you down or whatever, at least you have this on the side. It's like a insurance policy. And if crypto is in crypto, all of crypto is an insurance policy right now, because it's not that easy to live entirely off of it. You know, it's not like, yeah, I'll just pick this. It's like, it takes, takes some work, but it's worth it because it's an insurance policy against basically getting rugged by the government. <laughs> like your money becomes nothing. And like in the early nineties, I grew up in Mexico and I remember when, you know, as a small child, like grandma's coins didn't work anymore because they had the peso crisis and they like reissued the money and stuff. And so like all the old money was just, not worth anything. And I remember from like when I was just starting to to grasp what is money, there's this money that like they got rid of because it's old and this is the new one and this isn't worth anything. And we could always get rugged. We can always get censored. We can always get spied on. And I think that it's important to have an insurance policy. And so crypto as a whole is an insurance policy right now slash it's going to be the future, but right now it's insurance. And I feel like the best that is like the best that 2013 has to offer is not only that's not static across time. It's not like, well, 2022 I'm still spending Dogecoin or whatever, like, you know, maybe, but like at some point I think that I would like to educate my audience about privacy. And this is something I've cared and thought about a lot over time. And obviously um, I guess it kind of, um, there's a lot of that's one of the most ignorant subjects, I guess, other than like the very high level technical things like, you know, how does how's all this stuff work? I think it's one of the least understood concepts in crypto as far as, you know, the details of it. And like a lot of people think that crypto is private or then they think it's not. And then they think like, oh, coin joins are traceable. And it's like the answer to that one question is not it's not a simple question it's not like yes it's not like no it's like well this but that and then you know like when you talk about like that's one good thing about dash's coin joint implementation is that the extra change is burned like you don't you don't have any toxic change but like for example with like samurai wall and wasabi and all like the bitcoin big mixers like well okay maybe they can't trace you but then if you screw around with this change like the toxic change, then you can like all of a sudden de-anonymize everything you just did. And it's like, well, but then if they correlate big movements and timing attacks between this and this, and then it's just like, oh, I think a lot of the people in the Monero community, 
especially are, you know, with there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot going on with Monero, but a lot of people just seem to think, oh, it's just private because it's, that's the way they say it's just private. It's like, well, yes, but go on. There's a lot, there's a lot more behind that statement, right? Just like the people that think that transparent Zcash is just private because I'm using the privacy coin. It's, I think there's a lot of education of like exactly what information you're leaking, what, um, what risks are you taking by using this kind of stuff, any of anything and what, you know, what's the top technology of this and that. And I mean, some pe- sometimes like, again, we're just talking about technology here. Um, some projects might, you know, want to start adopting Zcash as technology, for example, and at least understand how it works and understand, you know, everything else. And, like I've had a uh, Ruben from Firo on quite a few times, and he seems to be one of the more fair voices as far as um, in the the privacy space, especially as far as not even though he's running a project, that um, he's not exclusively shilling that kind of thing. So I'd like to really get people understanding that stuff because at some point, maybe I'm ahead of the knowledge curve of the audience, right? Where I know more stuff and then it trickles down to them, but I don't want it to be where they're like, Hey, remember you said you, you remember you said to use this coin or whatever for this. And then someone tracked it and then found out where I lived and then whatever. Like, I don't want that situation to happen where I haven't done my due diligence and push it back. And so um, I do think that, you know, having extra stuff, coverage and stuff on Zcash like that is very, very important for that. And, and there's also another element to it, which is I, I want to learn more too. And it's not just, I like download, like go to medium, spend all day on medium on just read. And that's, that's not always the best. A lot of the best way to learn is to get involved. I mean, that's the big reason I started living on crypto wasn't, I mean, a lot of it was to live free, but also a part of it was to learn about it. Cause how else do you learn about it? I think that's a really good point because like, l- like getting involved, I would say that's one thing we're really trying to do at Zek Hub. It's like, we're trying to like mm-hmm. me personally, obviously it, it's a community project now and it has like eight decision makers. But now it's going to extend to 15. I'm actually going to like drop out of the decision-making process mm-hmm. and let other, like I'll just work on it. Um, but the one thing I think is really interesting is like, let's figure out a way and let's get enough Zek Zcash available to where we could onboard a hundred people as like two hour a week, three hour a week contributors next year. Like let's figure out how we can get a hundred people, even if they're already existing in the Zcash community, but a hundred people contributing to the project and contributing to learning materials. Because when I, when I built Zek Hub, like the amount of stuff I learned, like building that for the first time and like mm-hmm. researching about all the Zcash technology, I was like, wow, I like, because I was involved in the Zcash community before I started working at ACC and before I started ZekHub. But the amount of knowledge that I've I've gained over the last like 10 months, it's not, it's it's like between the first like 18 to 24 and the last 10, it's like, it's 99.9% difference. And it's all been acquired in like the last 10 months. And I think that's just because of like the opportunity and I guess the privilege of being involved with, the, you know, the project full time and being able to dive into everything at a higher level. I mean, a deeper level, sorry. But I would agree with you 100%, like getting, you know, taking that step and really wanting to get involved is like, 
a really, really important aspect of really understanding kind of the ins and outs of a project, because I think understanding the tech, at least at a high level is important. Right. And mm -hmm. I think like I could like, I could agree, like reading the Thorchain Monero Zcash war that happened five days ago, I was like, okay, there was some good, there was some relatively good comments. Like, you know, Monero has more usage right now and Zcash has better privacy tech. Like the, you know, like there's, there's kind of like this split, like this is the two differences and you know, it's a lot deeper than that and a lot more nuanced, obviously. Um, but I think like when you understand the projects at a relatively high level, you can kind of like agree with that and kind of walk away and be like, okay, that's kind of how it is right now. We'll see how it is in 10 years. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I think too, like another thing that people might get a lot of misconceptions about is like this idea that different projects trying different things is bad. I was listening to a really old, what Bitcoin did podcast. I think it was from like two, three years ago. And I was listening to it like last week and Eric Voorhees made the comment of like, I want Ethereum to move to proof of stake because if proof of stake turns out to be better than proof of work, then we have an option that's, you mm -hmm. know, more censorship resistant, more decentralized. So I think like when you look at specifically in the privacy community, you have a potential move to proof of stake for one of the bigger projects. Like I would view that as like, you know what? I might be more personally inclined to one side or the other, but just having one project in like doing two different ways is like a really good thing because it's just creating, you know, more diversity within that specific ecosystem. So I think a lot of it is just around like one, the knowledge and the more you understand, the more you get to appreciate of the different things that are involved in the ecosystem. Like I appreciate Monero a lot more than I did maybe 10 months ago, like a lot more just because mm -hmm. I, by virtue of being on crypto Twitter so much, I learn more about it. And then I also know a lot more about Zcash and I also appreciate this like difference in opinion and this difference in technology and difference in te technological approach. Um, but no, I would, I would like hundred percent agree with all of that there. Like, are there any, you know, specific, you know, what type of, you know, what type of guests do you think might be coming on over I, over the next 11 weeks? Like you may, even if you don't have them like slotted up or lined up already, like, are you looking to get really like Nathan, like very technical guest, mm -hmm. right? Like extremely technical, yeah. one of the most, I think, respected technical minds in all of cryptocurrency or in, in cryptography more rather, but like, you know, who are the, you know, the, the persons like what type of, you know, guests would you like to be bringing on over the next little while? Like how deep yeah. do you want to go? So I would, I mean, kind of want to go everywhere and I feel like there's a lot of like I guess founder bias in in crypto like interviewing people or whatever like go after the top guy and obviously I'm gonna have Zuko on at some point because he's just great but um obviously I, I kind of feel of it as like a journey right you want to you know Nate obviously had the good overview of everything of like where we were there to now and kind of get people caught up on the project who it's a great, I think if no one, people don't know what Zcash is, it's kind of a great um, way to, for people to know what it is in more of more than just like a read a paragraph, you know, and like the, the about us page of Z.cash, you know, it's like once you've done that, then you can just go to this podcast and kind of feel caught up. Or if you, are familiar with Zeke, you just heard about it over the many years. Oh, one of the privacy coins and the this and that. And and then at some point, like now that gets you caught up. And so now that we're there, this is like now it's like let's go through the the journey. So the journey we're caught up to the present day, sort of. Next, 
I'd like to, it'd be fun to tackle the, um, the kind of not just core protocol, but where that starts to intersect with wallets and businesses and stuff like that. And also cover the like spam attack thing, because that is something that, you know, we have privacy in, you know, theory, we have it in practice. And then it's like, well, how does that, what about where most people are likely to use it, which is like on their phone. And it's just like, well, well, Zcash is one of the few that's figured out how to do this and without like trusting nodes too much or whatever. Okay, well then what happens when people use it? And that's the thing is like, I don't like these elephant in the room kind of things. So it's like next thing, it'd be nice to like, in case people are like, why does it take so long to sync? It's like, well, Zcash episode two, right? And then from there you start to go into, you know, other things. I, I'm not exactly sure where I'll go. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people from, ECC, plenty of people from, you know, foundation and the grants committee and stuff. It'd be good to talk about that whole thing because uh, there's something that I also want to know more about personally, which is the whole governance system. Because obviously in, in Bitcoin, there's kind of none slash the core developers do what they want. And whoever controls, you know, whoever controls the GitHub kind of dictates the way things happen as long as they can like get enough minions to like hype it up enough to make it seems like a community thing, you know? And that, that was all deeply after seeing the block size wars and having to radically change my own life based on the outcome of the block size wars that, Oh, this is real stuff. It became, got me very interested in governance. And then obviously dash has a governance system where you could be every month. There's like a vote for funding and stuff at the protocol level. And you can do decisions and stuff. And then uh, Zcash, of course, founders reward era, and then now we have quite a bunch of different things going on. And I find that that's kind of an interesting thing to deep, to delve into very deeply and just say like, well, why is this this way? Why is that that way? Who decides what? And then go into concepts about like, is this just like a coin holder voting kind of a thing? And I, I mean, I talked to, with, uh, with Nathan about this a little bit on the, the first podcast about, you know, is just voting based on coin holders, is that a good governance system what about you know and and then also can you start to in a zero knowledge way tabulate how much people have used zcash over the years without it all being public info but they use that as like a voting score to like contribute to governance like how do you do all this and then i think that um zcash has a lot more of a let's see where we go from here kind of an attitude to it than a lot of these other projects that seem to be more like doubling down on what they did before. Like, this is who we are. This is our identity. We do things this way. Whereas like with Zcash seems like, let's explore, let's go somewhere with it. So I'd like to talk about governance too. Maybe that'll be episode three. Um, I definitely want to get into a hardcore um, spending episode, so to speak, where we just go right into what can you do with it? Where can you use it? Um, where are their communities? They're strong on, on this. What are some of the challenges to using it? Or is it difficult to, you know, onboard because of this? Like, what would you like to see that? Like all that kind of stuff. That's another good one. And then we start going into, you know, one thing I think is really good is like, I would like to do a deep dive from Zcash perspective on the privacy model and compare it with like other things as far as like, well, this one works probabilistically, this one works with this, 
what would you have to do in order to do that? Blah, blah, blah. Like there's, that could be three episodes, honestly, but let's just say like one for that. And then you start to go into um, what I think is one of the craziest things. So like, for example, there have been a few cases of uh, government actors finding and confiscating Monero before. And which is one of those things where it says like, oh, that the hype is like there's a bounty on the artist to crack Monero, whatever. Yet people have sort of done it, but have they? Or was it all off-chain data? And that's something I'd really like to deep to do a deep dive into is like the off-chain privacy thing and how that intersects with on-chain. Because you can have zero knowledge everything, but if you buy, you know, five grand worth of Zcash on Gemini, and then you show up with a an item purchased from the dark web, whatever valued at around five grand within the next few weeks, people, it doesn't matter how encrypted your stuff is. People are going to figure out what happened. And so like find out all those other little data leaks there's. And so we're like, what, six, seven episodes in and I'm and on and on. And, and of course there'll be things that will happen before then. Like there might be a transition to proof of stake or something. And that might take its whole episode. I mean, and not for the Zcash podcast, but on the rest of the channel, I did like a four episodes, like four hour long uh, proof of work versus proof of stake plus hybrids thing, just like a, in the last couple months. So I'm already pretty deep into there, but like to approach it from like a Zcash perspective, like that would be, that would be good too. And so, yeah, just, it goes on and on, I guess. Not very cool. I'm, I'm super excited for it. And I think the community at large is really excited for it because I think like, um, I know in the proposal, you actually mentioned this, this podcast specifically. Um, mm -hmm. I think the one thing where people kind of, it's hard to understand is like, I don't think this, this project I'm doing right now is going to be like very consistent. Um, just mm -hmm. due to the nature of like what I'm doing all the time. And I have, I have like, there's a period of time where I was like, ECC like took up everything and I couldn't do even things in my extra time. I just didn't have enough time in the day to like work on things outside of like my mm -hmm. ECC work. Right. And I like the way that you've kind of, you've kind of planned this out. You're like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it once a month. It's going to happen for a year. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be this thing that's really consistent and people can have like a level of expectation from. And I think that that might be something that might be good for the community as well. It's like, Hey, like there's this project, it has deliverables, it gets met and like it gets consistently met over the course of time. And from an education perspective, I think that's really helpful because it keeps an audience like really, really engaged. Um, and I feel like at times like specific, I'm going to just mention the work I'm doing. Like I find it hard sometimes to like keep that consistency really going. And I think that's what the best, like the best podcasts and the best media channels, et cetera, they have like consistent output, even if it's once a month, like it's coming very consistently over X period of time that has like that level of like excitement and engagement around it. So I'm super excited for it. I think it's massively positive for the community. I've always, I've, I've voiced my support for it in the forums and I'm glad that you guys obviously are getting funded and this is going to be happening. You know, where can people find it? Where can people, you know, find the podcast and what's the best, like, place to access it and where should they, you know, follow you to stay up to date on everything. Yeah. So if you just, those, the three words, digital cash network, as far as I know, there's like no one else who's using that name anywhere. So obviously YouTube, um, Odyssey, which is the library blockchain based, you know, crypto YouTube thingy. And those are the two ones where 
it will be live on consistently live every Friday, third Friday of the month, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And obviously they'll change based on, you know, the time zones or, but it's 4 p.m. Eastern time always. It's so those are, that's like the consistent place to find. And of course, if you look at digital cash network on, you know, Spotify, on anchor, on Apple podcasts, on whatever, you'll find that all. And that'll probably be like the day after like the Saturday or so that then it'll show up there for like the audio only stuff. And obviously there's a Twitter account, digital cash net was digital cash net. Cause they blocked it off, but whatever, look, digital cash network on Twitter. And there's a Facebook page. I mean, it's Facebook even a thing anymore, but so there, and then also Instagram and TikTok. obviously that's, they're, they're not podcast platforms, but I will be putting out clips of these episodes in like short form on those digital cash network on TikTok and Instagram. And obviously also on the Twitter and, you know, the Facebook type stuff. And yeah, so basically everywhere okay. kind of. And then obviously I'm, since I've been sort of like semi one foot into the Zcash community for many years, I'm now trying to find place where to put the other foot, like to get all the way in. And it's always like, it's funny, like rooting out a community. Cause I've been mostly in, there's a signal, you know, there, well, I don't know. Is, I don't know how public that is, but whatever. There's a there's a signal group that I'm in that was like a, Z, uh, a local Zcash group, and then beyond that, I joined like uh, the the Latin America Discord and the Foundation Discord today, in the Latin America, and then I joined a Telegram channel, and then in the Telegram channel, I was like, hey everyone, and then I saw in the um I believe it was Latin America group, my Telegram thing got mirrored into the Discord. I'm like, oh. Okay, so I guess they're kind of both yeah. the same. They're linked, and so yeah, I think, basically, I think because yeah. yeah, there's a divide. Some people like prefer one over the other, and they want their messages to be viewed in both. Yeah, I think that's why they built that. Yeah, it's so. Um, the only so basically, yeah, just everywhere there's people talking about Zcash. I don't know if there's a Facebook group or if anyone uses it, but if so, I'll I'll find it mm-hmm. on Reddit. Everywhere I'll make sure it's all out there, including announcements okay. and stuff. But basically, Digital Cash Network is where you find it. And um, I might have some some other surprises cooking up for the community that were not mentioned in the proposal itself. So okay. that'll be fun. Very cool. Awesome. Well, great. No, I, I re- again, really appreciate the time today. And, and obviously, all those links mm-hmm. that we've just mentioned here, as well as like your personal profiles, etc. I'm going to put those in the show notes. So everyone who's listened to this all the way through will be able to find those links and access those via the show notes. Is there... Before we, you know, wrap up, is there anything that you wanted me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Um, not particularly. I think we've, I think we've basically gotten everything covered. I mean, I could obviously speak for another two hours, but that's just always me. No, exactly the same as well. Especially like, especially if the if once we we start doing these types of things, I I'm, I envision one day that Zcash podcast and media if it will eventually happen in person. I don't know how that's mm-hmm. going to happen, but I have a vision one day. And then when the whiskey and the coffees oh. come out, these things get a lot longer. So <laughs> we can save all that yeah. for another time. <laughs> that's that's another, um, maybe a little bit of like a teaser type thing. But for my channel in particular, I have been planning um, in-person, longer form podcast things, including, you know, happy beverages. So that might be a thing at some point. And that might be, I mean, like does Zuko drink? I don't even know. I mean, if he does... Maybe I think he, I think he had a I think he had a whiskey on the on the or a scotch on up only, pretty sure he did. Well, 
if he did, then he might be hammered on my podcast at some point. So we'll see. Okay. Well, I think <laughs> that'll be fun. The best indicator Just... of my, my drinking radar, Zcon. I think that's where we find out if, if, people, if people drink or not. So Barcelona, yeah. actually. So that'll be fun next year. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for the time today. I feel like we covered a lot of ground and, and really got to get into a deeper dive of what people could be mm-hmm. expecting and overall just super excited for the podcast. So thanks again for your time and looking forward to watching the episodes here in the future. Yeah, likewise. Well, thanks a bunch.